0: Feel free to go to my store on my website at www.healingvitality.ca. Thanks so much for coming on this journey with me. So I'm super excited today because I get to connect with somebody I've been waiting to connect with for a while because of schedules. But thank you so much, Dr. Jody Carrington, for joining me today on my podcast i'm super excited to share you with others my sister's given you a glowing review like glowing she's been asking me every week so are you interviewing you this week is this the week like is this the week you're going to talk to jody like oh my gosh you need to talk to jody and i'm like okay so today's oh, the day well
1: heather if there's a sister review then we know it's going to be amazing
0: yeah exactly let's
1: do it i'm so excited to be here
0: Perfect. So would you mind sharing with the world a little bit more about yourself so that they can get to know you?
1: Yeah, sure. I am a clinical psychologist. I'm here on Treaty 7 land, which is also known as Alberta. I have a massive love for the East Coast. So I'm so excited that's where you are today. And I have a practice. I have three babies who, listen, are my biggest teachers on the planet. I have a husband who I'm still married to, which some days especially over the last couple of years, I've questioned significantly. And I started a practice just uh, in this rural town and started to speak about emotional regulation and trauma and attachment and connection in our communities and in our organizations and with our kids. And I started spending a lot of time with teachers. And so I wrote a couple of books and uh, one is called Kids These Days. The other is Teachers These Days. And they became national bestsellers really by surprise to all of us. And now we're speaking around the world.
0: Awesome. Oh my gosh, this is perfect because it's one of my passions as well. I've done some volunteer work in some middle schools locally and the whole introduction of technology has been curious and the whole generational trauma thing seems to be evident or or like more, if you could describe a person as a house, the curtains are open And so like, there's no ignoring it in the generation I'm seeing right now.
1: It's fascinating because it's like, but I I feel like it's a little bit of a false sense of looking because what happens sometimes is one of the biggest issues I think that we're facing right now is this. We've never been more disconnected Mm -hmm. despite the fact that technologically we can connect to each other in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. uh, We've never been more disconnected in the history of the free world than we are right now. Mm -hmm. And that is because, you know, best practices that were created for our education system and our justice system and, you know, even in this world of parenting, they were created in a world that no longer exists. And so if we think about, you know, even two generations ago, behaviorism ruled the world. It was this idea that you make a good choice, we reward you. You don't make a good choice, we punish you until you decide to Make a good choice. And the issue is it was built on this model that really assumed something that we didn't measure back then because we didn't know how quickly it was going to change. And that is simply proximity. Mm -hmm. We had so much more access face-to-face to to humans two generations ago that we don't any longer because of amazing technological advances and because of, you know, geographical changes and expansions, all of which are really good in so many ways. However, the cost has been our ability to regulate and stay connected to each other. We're losing that skill. And so our power to just behaviorally motivate somebody, take something away or, you know, reward them isn't as powerful. And we can't really figure out why. But relationship was built in so much more just two generations ago. I mean, if you think about the square footage of the house that your grandfather was raised
0: in. Yeah.
1: And the square footage of the house that we're raising our babies, that alone is indicative of just how much time we spent face to face with each other. So when you think about, I mean, the the data around this is interesting. I found this study not very long ago where they said two generations ago, our grandfathers and our great grandfathers looked at their children 72% more of the time than we look physically at our own children. Awful. And so the cost yeah. to that, because the only way you learn that you matter, we're wired for connection biologically. That's yeah. the thing that hasn't changed in two generations. We're wired biologically for connection, and the only way we learn that we matter or how to stay calm is when people show us, mm-hmm. when they look at us. You can't tell somebody how to calm down. You gotta show them. And so the heart of our mental health, the heart of, you know, being able to learn and execute relationships significantly well, having access to empathy and kindness happens when we are connected and calm. And the only way you learn that is in face-to-face connection with other people. And that's the biggest change that has happened. And COVID then came in and disconnected further for the physical safety of our communities. Mm-hmm. So we've sort of expedited this process of disconnection over the last two years that has really resulted in a massive mental health crisis.
0: now do you also factor into your data the splitting up of homes has augmented over the last two generations
1: well that's the consequence right so it, it is that is I think the follow right so we have access to other people and here's the issue right like technological advances are not the the evil the root of all evil i mean we now have advances where even in covid we could face time with our grandparents we can you know right. you and i can do this yes. right we can do this phone call across an entire country and with no problems at all you know i, I mean i hope before i die that pancreatic cancer isn't a death sentence i hope because of te- technological advances we're going to get better in those ways but the issue is when you don't keep up the hardest thing we will ever do and actually it's always been this way, is to look into the eyes of the people we love because there's so much risk. And when we have many exit ramps, we'll take them. And just two generations ago, we didn't have those exit ramps as, as readily available. huh? Right. And now we do, right? So in the evenings, for example, I mean, think about the size of the bed that your grandparents slept in. Yep. Yep my husband and I have a king-size bed. We have three kids. I, there's so many nights I don't even know if it's freaking there, you know. And my grandparents used to play two games of crib. I know you'll know this, two two yeah. games of crib in the morning and in the evening. And what happens when you play cards with somebody?
0: You got to look at them, know if they're cheating. You do, and you're watching
1: <laughs> if they're cheating. And yeah. you're, you know, giving them because they're doing something, you know, like, hey, you know. And then now our activities in the evening. Revolve around getting our kids all organized, getting them to bed, yelling, and getting things organized. Right? And then Aaron watches. We're, we're, I'm currently learning how to launder money on the in the Ozarks, and he's watching Breaking Bad, so he's figuring out how to cook meth. Like that is our evening routine, right? We're not even watching the same show. We both get into Netflix, and we disconnect from each other because we feel as though we've earned it. you see because we work so hard all the day, we are. Taking our kids here, trying to give them all the experiences they they need, trying to stay connected. I'm trying to build a company. He's trying to work for me in this company and not get divorced. At the end of the day, we're like, okay, you know what? We deserve to to numb, and we're not wrong. The excessive use of that is there's a cost, right? Yeah. Which means that even when I do come back together, I'm losing my skills and our babies are not born with these skills somebody has to show them how to do that and the less and less we do it the less and less they'll be able
0: to do it right and where do you factor daycares in all this i mean they're a necessity that came out of the two-income home to yeah and they're, they're often the
1: saving grace right they're Often the same grace mm-hmm. because it takes a village mm-hmm. so daycares are really the the transition um a community gathering right mm-hmm. we used to live with our parents and our grandparents or our aunties lived right next door or our cookums would come in and you know like we we now move so much farther away from our family sometimes right yes. even in you know the the reason we move back to this little town is what Aaron grew up so I have we have his mom across the wa- road um, but my parents are two and a half hours away. And his father is now on the West Coast. And so I don't have very many people other than, thankfully, his mom, who's a gem, that I can say, oh, my God, I'm sick. Aaron's away. Can you come and run this baby to here or can you do these things? Right. And it is so important that we have that village. And how do we create communities? I was just in Fisher River Crenation in northern Manitoba yesterday. It was the most beautiful experience ever. And we drive two hours out of Winnipeg to get to this beautiful piece of land. And this group of people so have been through unthinkable, I mean, a cultural genocide. And to watch them as a community how hard they fought to stay connected to their kids and to their culture, which is so inspiring to me and just reminded me really about how critically important it is right to, to celebrate your traditions and Mm -hmm. to get back into connection with your families because it is, it is the life force.
0: Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I think we have so much to learn and attune for. I think we have so much to learn and attune for on that topic for sure. And it's, and it's curious that we are in this dynamic of being in the candy store and and we earned it, right? We earned all the candy and yet none of it really sustains us or fills us up. Like it's this really, it's been a really good marketing job, like crazy marketing job. And likely a whole generation of marketing job. My mom refers to me as the first generation of Sesame Street. And she's like, as soon as that happened, the television was raising my kid and teaching my kid as opposed to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And okay. so, like, there's been um, a dynamic of, of I think, grooming in a sense. Like, it's, it's a weird thing to, and, and like, it's a rabbit hole that I probably shouldn't be going on. But... It's it's a weird thing to think that so many things that create disconnection have been normalized as rewards, and so mm-hmm. when we think about how we lose touch with ourselves and lose touch with connection, all these rewards take us away from connection and and ourselves. It's right. It's crazy, and so like you and I both are on this mission of reconnecting people to each other. And to themselves, in a sense, to create wholeness in a community, in the world, in themselves... Create more kindness, create more love. Like I saw that one video of yours this morning. I'm like, sure. Yes, everybody needs to see this. All we have to do in 2022 is be freaking kind. Like, just be kind. Like you might hate each right. other right, right now. You might not know how to do it, but just be kind. And I'm like, yes. Well,
1: and, and that's the issue. I, I think part of it is, I mean, as dire as it can sound, you know, when we sort of talk about what we're up against right now. The other thing that I'm super thankful about in this season is I am so grateful that I chose the season, like, you know, we were talking before we press play about the older I become, and I think I hear this about you too, is that, you know, I become much more spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I do not believe that this is a coincidence that I chose this season, like, why whatever. Here's what I love about it. I get out of bed every morning so optimistic because yeah. this is such an easy place to leave a legacy. Yeah. Because the bar is so low.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: All you got to do is be nice for God's sake. You buy some orange for the coffee, the coffee for the guy behind you in the lineup, and they want to give you the Order of Canada. Right. You give some dad a compliment at a hockey rink, and he wants to make out with you. Like, so many people just need to know they matter. So many people are hurting. And we recognize, when we recognize our superpower is to use our ability to just not only look but see. Yeah, we can create such a healthy wave in our communities. And it's, there's no financial cost to this. As we respond to, you know, the mental health wave, the crisis pandemic that is yeah. going to overtake our country and I would argue the globe, yes. there's going to be a lot of attempts to fix it with programs and money and, you know, infrastructure and all of those things. But the issue is it really needs to be around looking after our organizations looking after people providing the services mm-hmm. are we investing in our teams are we paying teachers more are we offering you know a meat trays to teachers how do we acknowledge because when we acknowledge each other we rise
0: yeah yeah and that kindness connection and the following the nudge of who needs it and becoming just more present and aware of the fact that people are smiling but you don't know which one's the time bomb so just be kind to everybody right right mm. right mm-hmm. and it's interesting because I had Theo Fleury on the podcast a while ago and a large part of his healing has happened through reconnecting with his Aboriginal roots and connecting to the earth, connecting to ceremony, connecting to community. And when you think about what we have at our fingertips is that ability to just make a connection with that person that we don't know at the grocery store by smiling or whatever the case may be. So it is that we all are part of the community called the human race. So, it, it's fascinating how simple it could be to support this mental health crisis we're we're in so right 100% yeah really cool so what inspired you to go down the kids route and go down the teachers route because i mean very dear both of them to my heart cuz i've i've witnessed intimately the teacher world for 30 years through my sister But what inspired you to do that as a clinical psychologist? Like, where did that come from?
1: Yeah, I was, as I was telling you before we, popped on here. I did my residency in Nova Scotia and I had to do rotation with kids. And so I, um, I'd spent most of my career working with police officers and looking at trauma and relationships and connection. And then uh, when I did my residency, I ended up doing this rotation with kids and I fell in love. I realized we knew even less about kids and trauma than we knew about adults and trauma. And so there was a position back home in Alberta at the Alberta Children's Hospital and it was in a tertiary care on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids. And I was like, you know, I don't know that this is like the best place to take your first job, but it was home, it was Calgary, and I took it, and it just, it was the, I think, hardest, most rewarding thing I'd ever done in my life, and so for 10 years, I stayed and learned from this incredible team of psychiatrists, and OTs, and PTs, and speech, and family therapy, and really understanding this sort of holistic way of looking at kids, and emotional dysregulation, and clinical issues, and then how trauma often underlies all of it. And I um, I married I got married in that time we had you know babies really fast. And so in that process, we decided that we would move closer to Aaron's family after we had three kids under two because I was having like a, a breakdown generally speaking, because I'm not even a fan of kids. But when I became a parent, I was like, holy mother, I thought this was going to be easier. It wasn't. So then when we moved to this town, which is just an hour outside of Calgary, I started a little private practice. And then I was consulting with schools. And they would always call me about the toughest kids because there was nothing that concerned me anymore. Because on a locked tertiary care unit, I've seen I think most everything, the hitters, the kickers, the biters, the ones that want to blow up places. Like those are my babies. I love that. And I just really want to figure out why Not what's what's wrong with them, but what happened to them. Mm -hmm. And so we spent, I spent a lifetime doing consultations and I would speak to schools and they would say, Oh my God, could you talk about trauma to our leaders? I would like, yeah, can you talk about, you know, this to our superintendents? Yeah. So then it started sort of the speaking career where I would, um, know go to different conferences around alberta and then it just expanded across north america and now around the world and as that started you know people said, could you write a book like oh my gosh this was great could you write a book and i was like no uh, no and i still i still can't even imagine that that i'm an author because i don't really understand how that happened but i wrote down everything that i knew to be true and we published that in Kids These Days. We self-published it. It did really well and then got picked up by a publisher. And then Teachers These Days got picked up by a, uh, another little publisher. And then Harper Collins came to us uh, six months ago and said, hey, would you write a big book that we can put on a national scale, an international scale? And I was like, yes, yes, we could. So the next book is, is due out in December, and the working title is uh, Feeling Seen.
0: Okay. Now what's interesting is I have done – probably a third of my podcasts with people who are in the horse world. And feeling seen is how you actually get a horse who's been traumatized to come out of their shutdown state. So finally, I'm talking cool. about humans <laughs> for all my podcast listeners who are used to me talking about horses and going, this maps to humans too. And you're like validating me now that I'm not wrong, that it all oh, maps to Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's fun it's fun because it's it is that i think one of the horsemen says i think it was warwick schiller feeling seen getting gotten being heard you know like all these scenarios of how you can actually acknowledge that you know that the other being is present in front of you like it, mm-hmm. and, it, and it does a rig it affects the parasympathetic system in a way that people may or may not know but it disarms people it disarms the stress and the trauma it might create a very uncomfortable feeling I think and you would have a lot more to say about it than I do because you might invoke an emotion that that person's not prepared to acknowledge that they had or we're not going to make it public but finally you're telling the world that this happens and people do. So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So. yeah, We can
1: learn so much from that world of animals. I have two equine therapists that work in our clinic and um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: sometimes the most, you know, intuitive therapists um, have learned from animals
0: mm-hmm. oh, yeah. because it's
1: like the words don't get in the way.
0: No, no. And well, they see through the masks without any problem. Like you, right. And you, they're so disarming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very cool that you work with equine therapists. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a whole nother podcast of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to shift gears a little bit. How does intuition come to you
1: in the stillness? So I think sometimes I think it's readily accessible for so many of us. And there is an attempt so much for me to control it and um, push through and be busy enough. And I mean, it, it's so powerful sometimes that it scares me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little bit about when you are still and when you listen and just attune to it. You know, you often know where you need to be, what you need to do. It, it's an, And it's rarely the easiest path, which is why we often just push through or do things that you know sometimes we're just not ready to to lean into and you know there's nothing wrong with that either but i think oftentimes it just it is so clear to me in the
0: still moments. now how does a mom with three kids under like within you know 24 months of each other or so arrive at stillness
1: Like, I think there's a big misunderstanding of what it takes to be still, because I think you can find stillness in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I like the word still better than meditate, because meditate scares the shit out of me. Like, I I feel like it just it makes me like, oh, my God, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. But Oprah talked about this one time where she said, you know, every morning I just start by being still, even if it's for 30 seconds. Right. And just like gratitude, spirituality, like stillness is a practice. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be at it the first few times you try it. And so how do you, you know, I often give myself just this, like, okay, 60 seconds, that's it. Just notice what happens in those 60 seconds. And I do a lot of work with trauma. And it's so fascinating to me, because in that world, I can talk about stuff or what happened to you all day long. But the biggest question is, where do you feel it? And in this world of Stillness for me, I often think about in that 30 seconds or that 60 seconds, whatever, you know, I even have time for or I'm brave enough to allow myself to do. The question really is, is where do I feel it? And oftentimes we're holding stuff in our shoulders, in our jaw, you know, on our chest, um, in our throats. And all of those things are really just an indication of, you know, just noticing. You don't have to do anything about it. There's often no fix for it, but just notice. Just give it space. And... That's where I think you, you we often in this, you know, very fast paced world that we're in just simply need permission to do that.
0: Yes. And and that's an interesting concept for people because they don't whether it's what they've witnessed or like from, you know, roles in the family or just how they've had to cope with things, whatever the situation is. People don't often equate permission, self-care, empowerment. Like they don't, they don't think that they have that power sometimes. Do you, do you ever see that? I don't know if I'm putting the question the right way.
1: Oh yeah. I think we underestimate our abilities all the time. And I think that, you know, sometimes we don't, there's such a disconnect between the head and the heart Mm. that we don't, we don't trust ourselves in that way. Right. But it's always amazing. Like we wake up with ourselves every single day. Like that's, that's what's going to happen for the rest of our days. And it's like, how well do you know that part of, you know, those, those, those things that just sort of give you little like nudges, as you said, or just like those little indications that it's like, huh, I don't know about this. This might not be right. Or this might not. And then it, it, I mean, what it really means is really, I think, just this idea, uh, just notice, you know, you, you don't have to make a big deal out of any of it, which I think sometimes we do sometimes like, oh, my God, is that a sign? Does that mean something? What does that mean? And we can drive ourselves crazy. It's just a little bit about slowing and trusting mm-hmm. that you just are more connected to your physical body it means that your emotional body will be better because of it.
0: Wow. Yes. Very, very true. <laughs> you can't deny the feelings in your body when you're grounded. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any stories you want to share in terms of how intuition has shown up, how this stillness has supported you or how intuition's shown up in your life?
1: Yeah, I think just sort of like noticing. I mean, I, there, there's never been any great big aha, uh-huh, I don't think. I think it's always like particularly, you know, anxiety and a, and a calm body can't coexist. And when I start to overthink things or worry about everything that's sort of going to be out of control or whether I'm making the right choices or I'm letting people down or whatever the deal is, sometimes it's just that ability to sort of sink into that and get back to the truth around, okay, I can only do what I can only do. And that often happens in the stillness. So that often happens in that moment of like, you know, okay, like so yesterday, for example, before I stepped into this community where there's been like massive you know, multi generations of abuse, neglect and trauma. And I was going to speak to um, the elementary school and the, and the um, high school teachers and all of their community. So I go into this school and I was standing in the parking lot and I just was by myself behind the school. And I just, for 30 seconds, just like breathed. And it was in that stillness where you just can also like call in whatever you need. And it was like, just give me the words. What do I need to know today? And I feel so much more confident stepping into that room, just opening myself up to that, whatever that is, the creator or spirit or, you know, and maybe it's nothing, but it gives me everything.
0: Oh, I i don't think it's nothing. <laughs>
1: yeah, but I mean, and gift. some people just yeah. can argue that, right? Like, they, yeah, some yeah, people will yeah. be like, well, I don't know. It's not tangible. Like, how do you know? And like, I don't. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure, but it's so much
0: easier exactly. to believe it is. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm making an assumption, but working that long in trauma with those kids, I would say intuition had to have been part of that journey.
1: Oh, for sure. And I think, well, I don't know, but like, I think it's like just a little bit about like how we notice other people and like, you know how you just sort of pay attention. Like, so for example, even yesterday we were doing a, a talk with, you know, a bunch of people and I was, you know, I'm I'm walking in the crowd asking people to sort of pull out their phones and text a message to somebody they love. And, you know, just noticing this one particular, you know, man in the crowd, you know, some people are like kind of joking and they'll like engage. And this guy was like, I just knew, I don't know if it's intuitively or whether, you know, you could just read that body language. It was like, don't, don't mess with me right? Like, I'm not into this. Okay? Right? So it's just sort of even that, I think, social reciprocity that happens when you just notice each other's body language. And oftentimes we tell the story that it must be about us, but typically there's so much going on for each of us that when we just start to notice that and be in tune more with other people, um, we respond differently.
0: Yeah. Again, being seen. Yeah. Uh Very interesting. And... In that seeing, you're able to almost gather the insight into how to be in that moment, right? Right,
1: right, right. I mm. mean, it gives you so much.
0: Mm.
1: I think power.
0: And not power over, but power with. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Excellent. Well, Jody, this has been this has been great. Oh, it's Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for today. I do hope that people look up your books because something tells me that it's not just about teachers, right?
1: No. Kids These (laughs) Days is really for parents or anybody who loves or leads. It just really is um, sort of the all-encompassing book. Teachers These Days, I co-wrote with an amazing kindergarten teacher named Lori McIntosh. And we got over 400 stories of teachers across North America just sort of telling us what they wish they knew in in this profession, and just how incredibly powerful this discipline is, um, particularly now as we step into this world of disconnection. You know, our our education system is going to be the answer to so many
0: things. I think. Well, the education system has been the uh, the parent, the disciplinarian, the how to tie a tie, the guidance, the resource, the center of the community for. Uh, generations so yeah it a lot rests on their shoulders and and i honestly don't think that they get the acclaim they deserve so thank you so much for supporting them i'm glad they fell on your radar i know my family's benefited from your support so (laughs) thank you
1: that's
0: amazing yeah well i hope we get to do this again because i think there's more there's more to share maybe it's after your next book
1: thank you Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks. Keep doing what you're doing.
0: We need these reminders. Yeah. Well, perfect. Thank you again. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. We truly appreciate our guests for sharing their stories and insights about how intuition has impacted their lives. And I'm so grateful for Peter Trainer for his time in giving me this original music. It's now your turn. It's your turn to listen and act on your own intuition and help make the world a better place. Until next time, keep seeing, being, knowing, and doing. If you like this podcast, please share it. If you want to find others like it, Go to www.healingvitality.ca or wherever you would find your podcasts. We would love to have you join us on this journey. Come be a crow sitting in the tree. Be part of our community.